Hi, welcome to The Face by Alex Pike podcast. In today's episode, I interview New York-based, world-renowned plastic surgeon, Dr. Sachin Sridharani, and we discuss the advancements in body contouring and plastic surgery. Hope you enjoy. Hello, I'm with Dr. Sachin Sridharani on Fifth Avenue in New York City today, and I'm very excited to be interviewing you on Alex Pike Podcast. Well, the excitement's on my end because we're happy to welcome you to New York. So uh, glad to have you here all the way from Australia. Thank you. We met in 2017. We did. In Australia when you were launching uh, the injectable for fat dissolving. Yeah, Valkyra. Yes, yeah. that's correct. Here we call it Kybella. Yes. Of course, you know, the Americans, you always have to have it sound a little bit differently. Yeah, you get a very so special name for it. You get a special it. name. It's Valkyra everywhere else. But for us, yeah, Kybella. Why is that? So I think it has to do with the regulatory pathway, right? Mm -hmm. So, and what I mean by that is the FDA, which is the pat the governing body for uh, different types of drugs or medications, ultimately has to approve the name. So you can't just like come up with a new drug and call it, you know, a wonder drug or whatever you want to call it. There actually is like an approval process, so it's not necessarily misleading. Somehow or another, Belkyra did not resonate with, oh. I guess, the FDA. Right. Um, I think it was my understanding. So I had to think of something else creative. But they wanted Bell, right? Bell, Bella, beautiful, sort of the, the Latin root of it. So Kybella was approved and all of a sudden they're like, okay, well, I guess we'll have Kybella in the US and Belkyra everywhere else. Yeah, so you were very heavily involved in the studies for this drug? Yeah, we, well, especially with like the launch and the understanding of it. We've definitely led a lot of studies since then, but really the foundation and groundwork started even before I got my hands on it. But it got its FDA approval in 2015. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the work, original work with it was done as early as like 2010, 2011, which I was still in like residency at the time. So it, I think it was more, I was fortunate to be a very early adopter. I was the first plastic surgeon in New York to get my hands on it mm -hmm. when it got FDA approved. And then since then, we've kind of led a lot of the clinical work and the charge with it. Done close to, I think, 5,000 treatments now since its approval and um, yeah, we've kind of helped lead a lot of studies and a lot of passion for what I call surgery in a syringe. Yes, I'm gonna to touch on that a little later. I wanna go back. You were raised in the Midwest. I was. Yes, father is a cardiologist. Yep, And absolutely. your brother is a spinal surgeon. Exactly. So very, very medical family. And my mother's the smartest because she's not a doctor at all. She was like a <laughs> three-year lunatic. So uh, yeah, but her background was more in accounting and bookkeeping and the numbers. So she keeps us all out of trouble and uh, looks after things. But yeah, my father is a cardiologist, but a spine surgeon. Was there a lot of pressure on you to become a doctor? No, actually, surprisingly, there wasn't. I think there was just a lot of pressure to do something with my life because sure. I was just living the you know Midwest American dream as a kid growing up there. I just wanted to play sports and hang out with girls. Right. <laughs> right? So every every boy's dream in uh, middle school and high school, I guess. Mm -hmm. And uh, but I did. I spent a summer working with a group of cardiac surgeons, and I was like, "There, this is it. You know, it's I've got to operate. I I don't sure. want to do anything else." So. It was fortunate that I was certainly encouraged to pursue a medical mm -hmm. path, but it was not mandated to. So I, I came about it on my own and knew that I wanted to be a surgeon. I just didn't know what kind until I got into med school. So I researched that you were top of your class. Did all right. And yeah. then you were picked out of, there was only two positions for the jo John Hopkins Hospital for residency there. Yeah, so that pathway into mm -hmm. becoming a plastic surgeon is, 
you know, undergrad, med mm-hmm. school, out of high school, I was lucky enough to get into a six-year combined bachelor MD program, so kind of an honors accelerator track. And then Johns Hopkins in Baltimore, Maryland, um, which proudly is number one hospital in the country, yeah, several wow. years running. It was really pretty cool to be part of something special like that. Um, they had two positions for plastic surgery residency, so internship residency and your chief residency. So yeah, so that took me to the East Coast. Yeah, so your path could have been very different in terms of you could have had a career more in the academia side of things. Is yeah. that sort of where you were headed? I think so. Yeah. My mentors were also academically mm-hmm. you know, uh, inclined and, and the place like Hopkins, you really kind of get sucked into the ivory tower in a great way. And I was so young, I started my surgical residency, I was 24 years yeah, old. Wow. And you're sitting here and doing you know, gunshot wound to the abdomen or helping with a kidney transplant or then helping with putting on someone's hand after it's been amputated by injury. And you're seeing this incredible academic work. It's like, how do you not get inspired to stay in that mm-hmm. arena? So it was, it was really exciting at the time. Um, and I'm still very academically inclined. Mm-hmm. But for what I wanted to build, I knew I needed to be in the private sector to kind of get from mm-hmm. the point A to point B as quickly as possible. Yeah, and how did that happen? Did you have obviously an entrepreneurial side to you? You decided to open an office in New York City. It's it's a fairly big endeavor. Was yeah. um, was that something that you'd been dreaming of for a long time or how did it happen? Yeah, so it was actually something that I was fearing instead of dreaming about. Yeah. It was all sort of came one in hand. It was, it was I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit mm-hmm. and to me, plastic surgery, lens way in medicine to being the most entrepreneurial because a lot of different specialties, orthopedics, my brother's spine surgery, orthopedics, mm-hmm. or cardiac surgery, all these things, they're a bit more group practice, they're insurance-based, there are all these different elements that although you can be in private practice, you are certainly typically at the mercy of being involved with a hospital system. Mm-hmm. And in plastic surgery, to me at least, it's like the last bastion within medicine where you can really be a small business or a large business owner. You can be as entrepreneurial as you want. You know, you you run several successful businesses and I'm I'm in envy of everything that you do as a mother, as a businesswoman, uh, as, you know, as a, as an influencer, I mean, across the spectrum, you've hit so many incredible targets and metrics, but in, once again, I think in surgery, plastic Mm -hmm. surgery lends its way to really fulfilling the entrepreneurial spirit. Mm -hmm. And so I think I gravitated towards the procedures because they require an insane amount of attention to detail, yeah. but you can really be, as they say, kind of the master of your own fate in terms of building what you want. And so I was like, why not just go into the most competitive market in the world on the most competitive street with some of the most challenging cases with some of the most talented people around and we'll plant a little flag and let's yeah. see what happens. And so I think that was that was kind of the journey. And Lux Surgery, yeah. confluence of luxury and surgery mm-hmm. was born and we're sitting here in your office yeah. on Fifth Avenue. So hopefully the aesthetic of it built lends way to, to the luxurious. I mean, it was it was a vision to understand that our ethos is mm-hmm. we're a luxury goods provider. It just so happens that my luxury good happens to be aesthetic medicine. Mm-hmm. So when people ask, who are your competitors in this space? There's not a list of 10 different doctors on the same block. I'm actually looking one block over on Madison where Tom Ford is mm-hmm. and where Hermes is and where LV is a few blocks away and Prada. And I mean, we are a luxury goods provider and people will decide, do I get a Birkin or do I get a facelift? Or maybe I want both, right? Sure. So. It's about understanding us delivering a quality product with a quality and luxurious experience 
because that's what we that's who we are. That's what resonates with us. Talking about luxurious experiences, mm-hmm. uh, I see you know patients every day of the week. You mm-hmm. know, sometimes seven days a week. You know, on average, maybe you know fifty, sixty women mm-hmm. a week. We have a very uh, high female client base. Uh, I know what my patients are asking for. Mm-hmm. You know, they're worried about their dark circles, um, their tear trough area, jawline. What are the women in New York City asking for? Everything you want, everything you mentioned, and everything else, right? Like, I mean, I don't think there's anything that is like untouched now mm-hmm. at this point. But I would say probably, interestingly, although the day in and day out emphasis is certainly on the facial aesthetic element of like you just said, mm-hmm. right? The dark circles are sure. always a challenging one and, and really age someone mm. very quickly. I think the lower third of the face mm. has seen a whole new revolution because we understand the concept of subtracting fat with like a Belkyra in a non-surgical way and then adding with something like Volux, for example, to define and create a jawline. So that also adds such a nice statuesque element to the face. But beyond that, we're also finding a lot of patients, a lot of women come to us. I have a large male demographic as mm-hmm. well, but a lot of our female patients come to us for innovative ways of looking at body treatments. Sure. Right? So we have the benefit of having treatments that are non-surgical. They're FDA approved, for example, for cellulite. We have the ability to melt fat with injections as well. That would be off-label, so to speak, meaning that you know we're investigating how to make that work in a really safe, consistent way. But I would think that also people want to volumize their mm-hmm. bum mm-hmm. without it looking like a fat transfer, right? Tell so, me about the results from volumizing um, the buttocks or the, the bum, as you just said. Yeah. Um, it takes quite a lot of product. It does? Yeah. I've, I've never treated that area. I leave that to the doctors. Okay. However, how, much, how many sessions does a, a patient have to have for that treatment to sit, start seeing results? Yeah. It's a great question, and I think the first thing we establish is who's a good candidate. Mm-hmm. And these are patients who are not coming to the office saying, Dr. S, I want a snatched waist and a fat ass, right? Like, <laughs> this is not that procedure. This is not something that's going to suction out the belly mm-hmm. and do that. We are looking for a, a nice, athletic, I would say moderate improvement, um, which can be done non-surgically in a matter of a few minutes. And what we take advantage of are fillers, like... Sculptra mm-hmm. in the US or Radius, we hyper dilute them. These are biostimulatory. So mm-hmm. of course, as you know, I mean, you're, you're a global expert, but for our, our wonderful audience, these are fillers that are not gonna just plump immediately. It's not like we're taking a syringe of some hyaluronic acid filler and plumping up a lip. Sure. We're gonna take this, we're gonna inject it, and we actually trick the body into building its own collagen to thicken the skin, make it a better quality skin envelope, and also just kind of volumize in a nice organic way. So back to what you're saying, usually requires multiple sessions. Yeah. I counsel every patient, <laughs> expect to do two to three treatment sessions. I usually space them anywhere from four to eight weeks apart. Mm-hmm. If I'm using Sculptra, I have to understand what their goals are. My starting point is gonna be seven to 10 vials on each buttock. And then- each, Yeah, okay, mm-hmm. so 20 vials per session. Yeah, I mean, you can start as conservatively maybe as like 10 to 14, but you re- total mm-hmm. um, split amongst each side. But the patient really has to then be looking for a very conservative treatment or they just want to fill in the hip dips sure. or maybe just want a little bit more pop on the top of their booty, things like that. Because it's that loss of volume at the top mm-hmm. that, that um, women see when they're aging. Correct. Yes. And the hip dips and stretch marks. Sure. So they'll say, okay, well, I wear this dress, but like when, I'm, when someone's looking at me, I just have these two dips right on. Or when they go to their side, they feel like they're just completely flat. So they just want a little bit of what we call 
the lordosis of the spine, right? So it's yes. spinal curvature. Mm -hmm. So we want to just accentuate it. And it's, this is nothing new, right? Well, I've just come from California, so I've mm. seen a lot of it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Open up a history book and look at Victorian era, right? Yes. Think about the clothing they Absolutely. wore. Absolutely. It accentuated. The whole point was mm. to wear a corset, cinch the waist, yeah. and then to wear the dresses, right? That With had the that, bustles. Exactly yes. right. And what did they do? They accentuated the buttocks. Yes. Over-accentuated the buttocks. They poofed them out so much. And so that, this is not anything new. We just live in a different era where we can do it without clothing necessarily, and we can do it with injections. It's incredible. In terms of fat dissolving injectables, mm -hmm. I've used um, the product for the submental fullness. Mm -hmm. You have trademarked the term surgery in a syringe. Yeah. Tell us about the other areas that we can use this injectable for. Sure. So it's kind of like that song, you know, head, shoulders, knees, like where, do, where, where does it end, right? So when I look at it, if I were to start top to bottom, right, on the, on the face slash body, we inject jowls, mm -hmm. we inject submental fullness, meaning the double chin, um, inject bra fat, the front bra roll, that little bra puff. Jowls as in buckle for fat? Um, no, no, jowls as in basically along the jawline, mm -hmm. a little bit lower. I, buckle fat pads are, there's a lot of, you know, sort of mixed feelings yeah. about excising them. Um, I do perform that operation on the appropriate patient as sure. a fuller face, mm -hmm. um, but I don't inject Belchira slash Kybella there because of the fact that, you know, there's a lot of important anatomy in that mm -hmm. central mid face. It's a deeper fat pad. Yeah. So I want to kind of steer away because I don't have precision and control the way I do if it's subcutaneous. Fat. Sure. But great question. And people have mm -hmm. asked me to inject it. I'm like, well, people come in to... every day and ask for it. Yeah, well, they ask yeah. for lower eyelid yes. fat bags, the pads there. I don't inject the eye bags. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so the jowl, the double chin, bra fat, full arms, inner thighs, outer thighs, mm -hmm. the tummy, of course, mm -hmm. male chest for pseudogynecomastia, the chest sidewall, the flanks. So yeah, I mean, inner knees, front of the knee. So pretty much everything other than the calf and ankle and around the eyes. So why wouldn't a patient just have liposuction? As a surgeon, I love mm -hmm. to use my scalpel and that's what made me think of surgery in a sure. syringe because I felt like that's basically what I was doing. And I will encourage patients, I think it's transparency is so important. Mm -hmm. Again, and time and time again, I see so much of the work you do and you're so open and honest with your patients, which is what I really like about your approach. And same thing here, we need to tell our patients what their options Absolutely. are. What I find is patients want a surgical type outcome Breaks my heart at times. They say, but I don't want your surgery. Mm -hmm. They're looking for a non-surgical option. Sometimes we can achieve that. Sometimes we can't. And if we can't, I'm telling them that, look, you're better off not doing anything than doing this. And so, you know, there's, there's increased downtime. There's concerns about surgery to a certain extent with anesthesia. People are fearful of that. Or they're bothered by something enough just not bothered enough to quote, go under the knife, mm. right? So this has been a really wonderful opportunity to present to patients an option to help them get something that's bespoke and permanent and surgical-like, but without having to have surgery. Sure. In terms of the downtime though, because with the submental fullness, you know, it requires sometimes multiple sessions. Absolutely. Uh, and, and patients are happy to go, go down that multiple treatments as opposed to having one surgical treatment. So what I find is when I'm thinking about treating the double chin or submental mm -hmm. fullness, patients basically come in in two varieties, right? They come in and they're like, wait, these people want to get injected with 30 needles or 40 needles in their neck and they're going to do it multiple times. Are they crazy? Put me to sleep, do this in an hour and I'm done, right? 
I have other patients that come in like, wait, are they insane? They're gonna take a nap and do this. You could just do this right now in 10 minutes and sure. have me on my way. I'd gladly come back in six weeks or whatever. I can't believe those lunatics wanna to go to sleep and take it and have surgery. Yeah. It's a men- it's as long as you know you're doing the ethical, appropriate treatment, different things resonate with different people, right? It's like I want, you know, a Ferrari or I want an SUV. They're totally different. They get Absolutely. you from A to B, but some people are like, are you kidding me? What do I need that thing? Or other people are like, are you kidding me? What do I need to cruise around where you can only barely fit golf clubs in the back, right? So it's just, you know, as long as you're getting from A to B in an appropriate, safe, and ethical way, there's something for everyone now. And that's the beauty of, you know, aesthetics in 2022 going into 2023. A part of your practice is clinical trials. And mm-hmm. you're, you've been a part of over 40, I believe. Yeah. And you've that. got 12 currently at the moment. Mm-hmm. Tell us about Bobo. We do yeah. not have it in Australia yet. Okay. Cellulite is something that is a huge concern for, I would say, 99% of women. Sure. Yeah. So yeah. is this a popular treatment for you here? Like the surgery? 1% that is not concerned just probably hasn't taken a look yet. Right? So <laughs> Absolutely. It, it, uh, it is something that afflicts a very large large percentage mm. of women, 90 plus percent of women in tons of studies have, we've shown. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that every person's bothered enough. You know, we buy it to get a treatment, but enough people are certainly. Clinical trials are a huge part of our practice. Sure. It allows me to geek out, keep that Hopkins sort of academia tradition alive, but it really makes us move the field forward. You know, if I just stay in my office and inject or treat a patient, I'll reach what? 15, 20, 30, 40 people. If I'm operating, I may do one or two surgeries that day. When I do studies, the work that we're doing has the ability to move markets, right? We create categories. So the work that we do impacts millions of people worldwide. So that's why I love to do the studies. Back to Quo, which hopefully will be in your country soon. It's the world's only FDA approved injectable to treat cellulite. It's collagenase, clostridium, histolyticum, and, you know, if we think about that, that's the genus Clostridium, let's go a little bit microbiology really mm-hmm. fast, really excitedly is like something that the aesthetics world needed. Because remember, Clostridium botulinum gives us Botox. Absolutely. Clostridium histolyticum gives us Quo. Wow. So it's the same genus that we're already accustomed to, just a different species. Okay. But with that said, we're able to use that protein and basically dissolve the bands that create cellulite. It's exciting. Um, We've been using it for a few years now. Mm -hmm. They did several of the clinical trials. Patients are really happy. I would say though, the biggest thing that is probably one of the things that patients um, end up dealing with the most is the bruising. You get a huge bruise from it. And openness and transparency are key. This is not a treatment you do three weeks before you're going on holiday to the Caribbean. In your bikini. Exactly. No. Because you will definitely still have the outline and shadow of the bruise. And in fact, a small percentage of people end up having prolonged bruising that can take six, eight, nine, or even yeah, 10 months wow. to resolve. So I tell this to every patient. Mm-hmm. I'm like, listen, if your goal is to do this because it's January and your expectation is in May, if anyone knew that you had done anything or you had even have a hint of this mm-hmm. sort of prolonged bruising and that would be devastating to you, this is not a treatment for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen the videos. Mm-hmm. So you map it out mm-hmm. and there's multiple injections. Yep. And do is there another treatment after or is it just one session? Um, so in the clinical trials, mm-hmm. we did three treatment sessions spaced 21 days apart, three weeks apart. Okay. In real practice, it's all about the patient. If I have, you know, a... 24-year-old aesthetic perfectionist that just has a little bit of some, you know, dimpling or undulations as we call them, 
one treatment, I bring them back and I'm like, you know what? It's looking pretty good. I don't even think we need to do any more. And there's, you know, high fives and hugs all around. They're like, all right, do my lips now, right? When something. can I book in? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so there's that part to it. There's other patients, you know, we know that cellulite can be hormonally modulated. Mm -hmm. So if I have a postmenopausal or perimenopausal patient who's like, look, this is really starting to get bad. I'm really bothered by it. And I take a look and it's more moderate or severe mm -hmm. in nature then I may, you know, abdicate for the full three treatments, but we just take it, you know, one treatment at a time, give them enough time for things to start to like, see how it's healing and going. And then if they need more then they need more. I want to talk about younger people because, you know, our industry is a growth industry and we're seeing so many young girls with the Kardashian culture, you know, mm -hmm. watching Kylie and Kim and Courtney looking so beautiful on screen uh, and hoping to, you know, also enhance their faces. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm seeing a big increase in younger patients in their early twenties. Okay. I think, you know, we've heard the term filler fatigue, mm -hmm. where patients are being overfilled. Mm -hmm. what, what's your thoughts on the younger patient? Yeah, filler fatigue, filorexia, mm. you know, so many of them. So I think there is definitely an element where a lot of people in this industry are starting to look the same. Yeah. It's kind of odd. Like all the cheekbones are too high. All the lips are too full. Just they've given up on their own sort of natural beauty. Yes. And to me, you know, I was told this in residency and it resonates with me today. And I was told, Sachin, when you get to New York to do your fellowship mm -hmm. in aesthetics, mm -hmm. you're going to make a living based on who you take care of. Mm -hmm. You're going to build your reputation based on who you say no to. Absolutely. And when you reflect on that, it's like, why are we injecting all of these like, 20-something-year-old patients that don't need any more volume. Mm. It's actually concerning, right? Like, we don't want to have all that filler. And so, you know, you have to have it within you and the culture of your practice mm. to be able to say no. And you may lose that patient. You will lose that patient. Unfortunately, they'll probably go somewhere else and they'll get it anyway. Absolutely. Fine. You know what? It's not going to be on my watch and yeah. it's not going to be with my hands because all I have is my reputation on my outcomes. So fundamentally... Look, in some ways it's great. We've destigmatized it. Mm -hmm. It's becoming something that's important and part of people's like processes, their beautification, all of that, no problem. If you have volume loss and you're a marathon runner and all these different things, sure, let's supplement some volume in your face. But I'm not taking full faces that already are statuesque and throwing another two or three mLs in their cheekbones just to make a patient happy. And then they all of a sudden look like a caricature of themselves. Do you agree that it ages that patient? Yeah, because yeah. it looks kind of weird, yeah. right? It doesn't look like them. No. So, you know, there's that old adage, you know, youth is wasted on the young. Absolutely. <laughs> right? So it's only the benefit after later on. But in those moments, it does age the face. It does make it look a little too mature mm -hmm. in some ways because all of a sudden accentuating those cheekbones makes the submalar hollow look more hollow, mm -hmm. right? Or it makes their temple look hollow, even though you haven't taken anything away there because you're adding yeah. to something else. So you've increased the mountain and kept the valley still yeah. and make the valley look deeper. Mm. Well, that's an aged face. Absolutely. A youthful face is a volume restored face with the right skin and soft tissue over it. Mm. So I'm, I'm very grateful to the Kardashians in a lot of ways Same. for bringing so much entertainment to our lives, yes. but also for bringing so much awareness to beautification. Mm -hmm. But there's a balance, mm -hmm. right? There's got to be a fine balance between what we're doing 
to look like someone else and what we actually just want to look like the best version of ourselves. Mm. I mean, there's no evidence per se about um, anti-wrinkle or Botox or Dysport being a preventative, mm-hmm. but do you think it's a good treatment for younger people ongoing? Yeah, I mean, although no one's done a longitudinal study mm-hmm. on whether or not it actually is preventative, I think there's merits to the fact that anecdotally, or in my opinion, you could probably say that it, it's got to help, at least to me, because you're preventing that muscle from create from working all the time. So by default, to me at least, it seems like it's going to decrease the likelihood of creating creases and lines and wrinkles. So yes, I think we need to have good data. It'd be nice to have a study to hang our hat on it and say, okay, guys, the jury's out. Yes. You know, Botox or Dysport or Juveau or Daxify or Xeomin or any of the FDA-approved you know neuromodulators in the U.S. They prevent these. It'd be great. We don't have that yet, but I think from our clinical experience, we probably feel like you'll stave off some of those wrinkles in the future. Let's talk about upcoming treatments because there's a mm. lot of new products coming out, which is very exciting worldwide. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have three neuromodulators available in Australia at the moment. Okay. You are getting one quicker than ours, which is mm-hmm. a more long lasting one. Tell us a little bit about that. Have you had yeah, experience so with that yet? Yeah, we're getting our fifth one. So which ones do you guys have in Australia? Uh, Dysport, okay. Xeomin, and Perfect. Botox. Lovely. So we have those three here mm-hmm. and I've had them for a while. Mm-hmm. We also have Juvo, and then we now are getting Daxify. So basically that one is a really kind of a newer, what we call neuromodulator. So just for, again, for our wonderful audience, mm-hmm. Neuromodulators basically are a broad class of Botox, right? Botox is a brand. So these are wrinkle erasers. They're basically clear, odorless, water-like injections that we get to inject that help a muscle not contract. So basically what we do is we have now Daxify, which is a new one, which has just been recently FDA approved in the US literally weeks ago. It's the press release is hot off the you know, So exciting. Mm-hmm. So that's really exciting. And really it's there's there's a special protein binding in a specific way that it's manufactured that allows for it to have a greater longevity. Mm -hmm. So although you're also using a slightly increased dose, we're finding that patients can have several more weeks to months of longevity. So it's really exciting because, you know, it's kind of been the holy grail of a lot of cosmetic treatments. Like how much longer can we get it to last? Well, this is really exciting because I think it's tapping into something that's going to give us that. We're excited to be one of the first practices in the world to be getting it soon, literally in a few days. Um, We're getting it, I think, in the next couple of weeks, actually. So that's really exciting. And um, But our preliminary understanding and experience with it is showing that you know, patients seem to be doing well, responding well to it. They've got good scores, at least when it comes to talking about satisfaction. And again, also longevity and return to baseline. And how long do you think it is lasting? I think people will get anywhere from five to seven and a half, wow. up to even eight months. That's amazing. Know. But I think, I think is I'm going to tell patients to expect between five to seven months. That's going to make a big difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of patients like to return, you know, every three to four months, mm-hmm. we're finding. Yeah. You know, specifically with occasions and Easter and Christmas and birthdays. Yeah celebrations of any kind. What's your thoughts on treating um, patients to an upcoming event like a wedding? So, I mean, I think wedding prep or those types of events Mm -hmm. always are a really popular time. It brings out, you know, folks who really just need to look and feel like their best. So, I mean, for us, we see that all the time. There's definitely seasonality to it. And, you know, I always tell patients, you can't start early enough for it. 
Because you have people that all of a sudden patients show up and like, it's happening in three weeks. So I'm no like, way. this is not the time to start experimenting <laughs> with something you've never had done before or to change things up a little bit. So, you know, as I say, fortune favors the prepared. Mm-hmm. Your wedding probably isn't planned just three weeks in advance. So nice. also plan enough time to come to your aesthetic provider to work on the skin. You know, for us, that that requires, you know, whether it's a hydrofacial or a light peel, maybe a possible like laser light-based therapy that can happen several months before, even a few weeks before. But your Botox, your fillers, all of those things need to happen in a sequence and a process. If you want to top off a few weeks before, that's one thing. But otherwise, lay that foundation and build things out a few months in advance. Yeah, that's wonderful. What are your thoughts on that? I see a lot of patients come in three weeks, four weeks before. Uh, I won't treat anyone. Botox, four weeks. Okay, fillers, fair. a couple of months yeah. in case you bruise them. Yeah. You know, I think bruising would be terrible if you had that kind of pressure with makeup artists. And even with mothers of the bride, I like to see them a month out. Sure. Get them back for their two-week review and then they're good to go. Yeah. Yeah. Practicing safe aesthetics, right? So yeah. responsible. We're yes. just being responsible. What's um what's your favorite treatment? Uh it's such a tough one. So I mean Look, on the non-surgical side, I'd probably be remiss to say if it wasn't Kybella, mm-hmm. just because we we really kind of built our name around that molecule. I love doing, you know, liquid facelifts and fillers and creating all these different, you know, um, looks for patients and, and being able to help them. But I'd probably say that's likely my favorite on the non-surgical side. Surgical side is really tough. It's probably a tie between facelift slash neck lift mm-hmm. because of the precision and control it involves to do a really nice face and neck lift. And then probably our drainless tummy tuck. That one's just immediate satisfaction because someone comes in with skin laxity on their tummy and a few hours later you've taken that skin off, you're you know tossing it out and their waist is tighter, their tummy is flatter. So it taps into the immediate gratification. Whereas, you know, a facelift takes a few weeks to a few months to really let the swelling and everything settle down. Do you see a lot of women after they've had children Oh, yeah. 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 So do you call that the the mommy makeover? Yeah. So the mommy makeover <laughs> is a series of different treatments. Mm-hmm. So that usually involves some element of breast sur- breast plastic surgery and abdominal surgery. So a mommy makeover may just be like 360 high def lipo, which is basically suctioning the upper lower abdomen, the love handles, the upper back, maybe the outer thighs, really getting rid of all of the all the fat and etching out the abs and giving them a really you know nice silhouette in that way and maybe a breast augmentation. That could be a mommy makeover. A mommy makeover could also be 360 lipo with a tummy tuck and a breast lift. Mm-hmm. Or it could be a combination of breast lift, breast um, augmentation and a tummy tuck or just the lipo. So there's, it's basically this like catch all of post baby body and breast contouring surgery. Sure. That's the mommy makeover. And in terms of um, when you are doing more plastic surgical procedures, mm-hmm. fat transfers to the face. Yeah. Tell me about that. So fat transfer in general can be a really helpful additive to surgical procedures. We do them for the butt, right? We call it the Brazilian butt lift or fat transfer. I do it to the breasts a lot for women who don't want a breast implant but want a breast augmentation. So we suction everything, use that liquid gold that we take out and inject it into the breast. So give them, you know, cup size up to two cup sizes bigger in a single session. How much do they hold? So they can hold a decent amount. I always tell patients after a fat transfer, if 50% of it is there at a year, I would call that successful. Yeah, okay. So and, they do lose quite a lot. Yeah, but yeah. I think most patients do retain a bit more than mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. But again, expectation setting. So if it's a bit more, 
we're at a great place. If it's a little bit less, at least we're not like, oh my gosh, I thought I was going to keep 70 to 80% of it. I only have half of it. Mm -hmm. But I think 50 is fair, but most time patients, I think, do hold on to more. For the face, I think it's great. And I do it a lot in conjunction with a facelift or a neck lift on a really thinner patient face. For patients that just need some volume supplementation or they just need a little bit higher cheekbones or their nasal labial folds or things like that, fat isn't my go-to. Okay. It's a little inconsistent, Mm -hmm. is a little unpredictable. And also we see a lot of fluctuations. So I've had patients because of, you know, the weight they put on during COVID coming in and saying, oh my God, I put on weight, but my face looks like a tomato. I had fat grafting done to my face 10 years ago. And when I was at my normal weight, I look great. I haven't needed fillers. But now my face looks like it's swelling. I was like, well, that fat was from your tummy. It's behaving like your tummy fat. So if you put on weight, you're putting that fat also filling out. So it's making your face look incrementally fatter. Mm. I've also had patients say, I'm going to train for the New York City Marathon. And they come in and I said, then they say that, look, I spent all this money on a surgical procedure. I had all this fat put in my face and it's gone. It's gone. And now I have to do filler anyways. And it's like, so it's very much fluctuates. And we know as the face ages, we lose fat in the face. Mm -hmm. So now you're taking fat from somewhere else, putting it in the face, and now it's behaving differently or following the aging process. So they end up needing filler. So then they're like, well, if I was going to have to get filler anyways, I never should have done surgery. Absolutely. So if I'm already operating, I'll put it in. Absolutely. How would you like to be remembered? Oh, gosh. That's... I mean, we're talking legacy. I'm too young to be thinking about legacy. Sorry. It's like, you're like putting me out to pasture. Not at all. I, I would never pretend to be in the same, you know, youthfulness as you, but I Thank think you. we're re- hopefully close enough in age. I don't think I'm out ready to be put out to pasture yet. How do I want to be remembered? It's um, a deep question. I think, you know, what I would like to be remembered as is someone who, whether you spent five minutes or five years with me, you're better after you left my presence than you were when you came into it. That I hope I pushed you to just be a little bit better, a little bit sharper, a little bit smarter. I think that to me would mean that I had a positive impact. So if I think about legacy, I think it's just about having a positive impact on someone. And more importantly, I hope I taught you something and you're just a little bit smarter after we part ways. On that note, I wanna thank you very much for joining me today in New York City. Well, welcome, and it was an honor to have you, and thank you so much for you know the opportunity to talk for, with you and your wonderful audience. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed my first episode of The Face. Since recording this episode, the company that owns the cellulite injectable Quo made a corporate decision to remove the product from the market. Thanks for listening.